This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, where we talk all things property, whether it's local here in Manawatu Wanganui or further afield in New Zealand and occasionally overseas. We tend to have a little bit of a chat about what's happening in real estate news, as well as throwing in a few opinions here and there based on my 24 years, I'm told on LinkedIn today, my 24 years of experience in the real estate industry. I know what you're thinking, I'm only 25 years old, but nevertheless, we'll just let that one go and move on. Here's the first thing in the news just relating to uh, four historic Manawatu buildings that are getting government funds for seismic strengthening. So the former Palmerston North Hotel that housed Queen Elizabeth II during the 1954 Royal Tour will net the bulk of new government funding to upgrade the historic Manawatu buildings. I'll let you think for a moment which one that is, but before I do... The Associate Heritage Minister Grant Robertson announced $114,000 in funding through the Heritage Earthquake Upgrade Incentive Programme to four Manawatu and Rangitike buildings on Wednesday. And this is providing support to heritage building owners in the regions who face challenges when sourcing the expertise that they needed. 42 buildings received financial support in the latest round, four of those in our region. So where did... Queen Elizabeth II stay during her 1954 royal tour is at Palmer's North's Grand Hotel building, which is a corner of the square in Church Street. It's received $50,000 to go towards a detailed structural assessment to really pin down its floors and work out how to fix them. It's a lovely building, uh, both lovely inside and out. It would be great to uh, be able to keep that one in place, of course. It was built in 1906 as a high-end hotel and designed by the influential architect at the time, Joseph Clarkson Madison. So the for years after the Queen Elizabeth's t- rural tour in 1954, it was closely associated with her visit. But it's also a well-preserved preserved example of the architect Madison's work. Where else are they going to spend a little bit of money? Two sites in Fielding's town centre, the Gracie's Building and Dominion Buildings, which are on the corner of Goodby here and Ferguson Streets, and they get a combined total of 33000 Gracie's owner, Kerry Gracie, said the building went up in the early 1900s and had been in his family for 60 years. The money was a pleasant surprise since he couldn't remember applying for it, uh, for, for earthquake strengthening funding, and hadn't been told about it. But he and other building, building owners had been working with Heritage New Zealand to bring their buildings up to code. He said we'd been talking to them and looking to do the upgrades on a group of fielding buildings together in one hit to try and keep the costs down. However, with the disruption to do with the coronavirus lockdown, it didn't really end up happening. And the Dominion buildings across the street, which house Wall Creations and Café Piccolo's, were built in 1908 and listed as a Category 2 heritage structure in 1982. The fourth property, uh, $30,900, will go to fixing up the JJ McDonald building on Broadway in Martin, which first housed a tailor's shop in 1866 and is presently home to Petals and Presents Florists. So there we go, a little bit of money there spent. It's good to try and keep some of these heritage buildings if we can. 
Speaking of things changing, here's another one. This article from Stuff. The native bird and wildlife park Alcatraz has been sold for subdivision. So a well-known native bird and wildlife park in Horofanua, and many of us have probably visited it if we've got children or if we were school age at the time it was there, it's going to be subdivided into six lifestyle blocks. Alcatraz, owned by Ross and Jeanette Campbell since it opened in Shannon in 1997, will be converted into lifestyle properties featuring streams, pathways and even a miniature train. The path has six Sorry, the park has 6.67 hectares of mature bush where native birds such as the North Island weka live alongside donkeys, alpacas, fallow deer, a pig, cattle and other small birds and animals. It's been sold to GBK Development Limited for an undisclosed sum after being put on the market in March, two weeks before Alert Level 4 lockdown. The advertising price was 919000 which I'd say is pretty good buying. So GBK Development Directors Jeff Kenny and Roland Lamb were working on a subdivision plan to put to Horofanua District Council. Kenny said they wanted to create properties that are appealing and respected the Campbell's legacy. He said we did have an option of 16 to 20 smaller sections but we didn't want to wreck it, so good on them. Having been Alcatraz, there will be unique sections with lakes and walkways. Some of their work will be preserved. The current house, which will be for sale with an acre of land with Thomas the Miniature Train included. He said the properties would be on town water and have the space associated with living in the country. Sounds nice. Bear in mind also that uh, Shannon's not far at all from Palmerston North. Small town New Zealand is up and coming, he says. The big cities are just beyond belief price-wise. Jeanette Campbell said the couple were content with the park's 23-year legacy and were ready for a change of direction. It's the end of an era, she says, and we're coming to terms with that. Campbell said that more than a million visitors had trekked through the grounds and amassed happy memories. So that's great. So they're closer to retirement now. It becomes easier for them to say goodbye. Uh, Ross Campbell took down the signs uh, last Friday, which was very emotional, his wife said. It was never going to be a good time, so we ripped the Band-Aid off, and they're in the process of finding new homes for the animals. The native birds, you'll be happy to know, will go to the Department of Conservation. Family and friends are taking smaller animals, and the new owners wanted to keep the donkeys and peacocks. So the couple will still be there for a few more months, but they've bought a house in Palmas North where they'll enjoy their retirement close to the children and grandchildren. So here a little bit of news from further afield. Multiple offers on $3 million and $2 million Marlborough Sounds properties are almost alarming, according to this article and stuff. The demand for multi-million dollar homes in the Marlborough Sounds has taken off post-lockdown with multiple offers on a $3 million and $2 million property last month. Real estate agent Jeremy Ryan has worked in Marlborough for 20 years with the past five covering the Marlborough Sounds patch and only knew of one other sale in the Waikawa area that ever reached that sort of money. He said he was almost alarmed at the surge of interest. We're surprised, he says. We can't put a finger on why there are so many people all of a sudden wanting to spend that amount of money out of the sounds or out at the sounds there's a lot of people trying to buy we simply don't have enough stock out there at the moment to show them both properties were on Port Underwood Road which overlooks Queen Charlotte Sound really beautiful uh, and only minutes from Picton he says that Canterbury is definitely the biggest part of our market at the moment wanting to buy and some from Wanaka as well and the North Island too so we've got people coming from all over the place wanting boat access and road access most of them are holiday homes but there are a few that are looking for permanent homes the Bailey's Marlborough Residential Sounds and Lifestyle Manager said it had been a number of years since this amount of buyer activity and confidence. 
whether they see it as opportunity to get out of the city and instead going instead of going to Queenstown and places like that, they're obviously getting a lot more for their money there. So Marlborough's average asking price was 583000 which is up 14% compared to the year prior. So interesting uh, that things are moving around there. Speaking of things moving, uh, this article from Stuff, Ponsonby agent sells $40 million worth of residential property in nine weeks. Wow, that's uh, quite an effort indeed. Blair Haddo, a real estate agent with Bailey's Ponsonby, is taking a break in Queenstown uh, when Stuff got hold of him. I'm exhausted, he said. It's my first breakaway since post-COVID lockdown sales rush, and I'm sitting here at Jack's Point at such a lovely place. And the reason he needs a break, he's sold $40 million of residential real estate in just nine, week, and it's nine weeks. And it's a beautifully renovated villas and bungalows that are attracting huge interest from returning expats and local buyers. Haddo has even sold properties to people sight unseen. They usually send their families or friends to have a look. I've just sold a beautiful Hearn Bay property to a Qatar-based Kiwi who sent a friend in investment banking through the house. Haddo's seeing an increase in the number of open home inspections from Kiwis who have recently returned home from various overseas locations in the past two months. The competition for desirable properties is so fierce, he says, that the Vermont Street Ponsonby property featured uh, in this particular article I'm reading from was snapped up on the first day it went to market, selling for $3.2 million relative to a rating value of 2.65. So it's interesting that so many people are returning. We're seeing this in the rental market as well, and this is happening in Manawatu, Wanganui. Also, people returning, deciding that New Zealand's not such a bad place after all, after living overseas for a number of years. So what started as a trickle of email inquiries from expat Kiwis talking about coming home in April and May has now evolved into direct personal inquiries in person since June and into July, Haddo says. With a reported number of 30, over 30,000 New Zealanders having returned to New Zealand over the past two months, it's reasonable to expect that most will be looking for homes to buy in Auckland, he says, where corporate job opportunities are most prevalent and where new businesses are getting started. So um, $40 million worth of property, I'm not sure what his commission rate is, but uh, certainly he'll be having a nice holiday and I don't think the, the cost of Queenstown would be too much at all. Sometimes, though, people do go to other extents to try and make money and this article in Stuff Business says Auckland real estate agent jailed for $13 million mortgage scam wins his licence back. So a convinced fraudster jailed for a gigantic mortgage scam can practice as a real estate agent again. Philip Julian Kavanagh and his supporters have persuaded the real estate agent's disciplinary tribunal to give them a second chance. One supporter, Lynn Lockwood, said everyone makes mistakes but Kavanagh deserved a fresh start. And his conviction sparked what another supporter called 13 hard years in the wilderness. So Kavanaugh teamed up with fellow Barfoot and Thompson agent Raghu Arya Samayalajula in about 2006 to get subdivision capable properties in Auckland ready for development and sale. But the business faced financial pressure and degenerated into fraud with mortgage applications containing false information. The lenders lost $3.84 million on loans advanced of almost $13 million. And as the scheme unravelled, the four real estate agents were suspended in 2009 and the scandal sparked calls for an industry overhaul. So Kavanaugh admitted the fraud. He was sentenced in 2009 to two years, five months. 
So in a new decision, the Real Estate Agents Disciplinary Tribunal said Kavanaugh was refused a sales purse licence in January but had been asked for a review of this decision. So they decided that upon appeal, the Real Estate Authority closely investigated Kavanaugh and the tribunal's decision was based on good evidence. He'd worked on uh, being released in prison after serving about a third of a sentence and he worked in property maintenance, um, started a building construction apprenticeship and so now has been allowed that licence back. So I don't know how you feel about that. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, He was putting it down to um, youthful greed um, and really that he has uh, reformed and so forth. So because a dishonesty conviction is over 10 years, he would have automatically been not allowed to have a real estate licence if it was within 10 years. So therefore, uh, that's something to see. Let's see how that story turns out. So now we're going to go to a little bit of music. I've just got something here for you. This is Aerosmith, Dude Looks Like a Lady. I always loved the scene in the movie uh, with Robin Williams, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, where he's dancing with the vacuum cleaner to the song. So here on Property Matters is Aerosmith with Dude Looks Like a Lady.
And we're back here on Property Matters. That was Aerosmith, Dude Looks Like a Lady, just to keep things rocking along here a bit on Property Matters. I do like a bit of Aerosmith now and then. Now we're just going to talk a little bit about the some other news that's happened, of course, is the Residential Tenancies Amendment Bill, which has now uh, passed its final reading in Parliament last night. That means it's going ahead, it just needs what's called royal assent. So this article from radionewzealand.co.nz says, how will it affect tenants and landlords? So this, I'll just read uh, straight from the article and then we'll make a few comments as we go. So what does the bill do? It does away with 90-day no-cause terminations, removes rental bidding and only allows landlords to increase rents every 12 months. So Associate Housing Minister Chris Farfoy said with more New Zealanders than ever than renting, the old law was outdated and out of balance. But National has dubbed the bill the I Hate Landlords Bill and is warning that it will have unintended consequences of driving up rents. And in fact, just digressing for a second, most of the changes that Labour government has made with regards to making things more difficult for landlords has only tended to flow on to tenants and in increasing rents. Farfoy said times had changed since the late 1980s. The renters deserved the security of having a place to call home and to put down roots. Digressing again, I would have thought that that is something that the social housing mandate of New Zealand was supposed to do. If, they, if the government feels the renters deserve security of having a place to call home, maybe they should have been building a heck of a lot more state houses uh, in this country for some time. Just my opinion. Anyway, he says, Farfoy says that the bill aligns New Zealand rentals laws with present-day realities of renting in New Zealand. It ensures that there are appropriate protections in place both for tenants and landlords. The bill bans landlords from seeking rental bids, which virtually never, ever happened. That's when uh, landlords would um, allow tenants to offer the highest amount of rent or offer to bid for a property and then rent it to them. Um, however, this, there was already protections in place for that under tenancy law, but it does limit the rent increases to once every 12 months. It also allows tenants to make small changes to properties such as baby-proofing or hanging pictures, and it stops landlords kicking tenants out with 90 days' notice with no reason. Farfoy says it's simply not appropriate in 2020 for a person to be requ- required to leave their home without knowing why. Landlords will be able to terminate tenancies for a range of fair and justified reasons such as antisocial behaviour or someone who is repeatedly behind on their rent, Farfoy said. Other key changes brought in at the last minute include allowing landlords to terminate tenancies within 14 days' notice if a tenant assaults them and allowing victims of family violence to end a tenancy with two days' notice. The National voted against the bill and MP Alfred Naro did not hold back on his criticisms. This bill should be the I hate the landlords bill. New Zealanders want housing solutions, but what are we getting? We're getting the situation where we're pitching the landlord versus the tenant, he said. And that's certainly been, in my opinion, the narrative of the media for a number of years now. They pitch landlords versus tenants in all of their articles rather than how uh, tenants are important to landlords and landlords are important to tenants. So Nara said the last-minute changes further highlighted the anti-landlord sentiment. Now for a tenant where there was family violence, they have two days in which they can be removed, but for a tenant to actually assault a landlord, they're given a 14-day period of grace. Where's the equal opportunity for the landlord? There isn't one, Naro said. Labour MP Kerry Allen said the bill was about correcting what could be a debilitating power imbalance. We know the trauma of what it is like to lose your home. We know that these kids 
we know kids that are growing up in those homes without certainty of having a roof over their head and they're going from school to school to school. We know they'll come from some of the most vulnerable backgrounds and some of the hardest backgrounds, she said. But National MP Andrew Bailey said the government was punishing all landlords in order just to catch out a few bad ones. He said the bill cut across the rights of the landlords. Many of these landlords, these mums and dads I speak about, these are his words, they will stop renting their properties. And we've seen that already. We've seen all their anecdotes. We've seen all their emails that in a time that in time will push up the rental prices, the very thing that we do not want to achieve. So in other words, what he's suggesting there, um, National MP Andrew Bailey, is that it's just becoming too hard and too risky for landlords. And if they sell their properties, first home buyers buy them, there are less properties to rent and the rents will go up. Um, and that's actually quite a good uh, argument. Greens co-leader Marama Davidson hit back at this, accusing National of weaponising anecdotes about bad tenants to smear all of those struggling with the stress of keeping a roof over their head. If people using housing as a business are not able to run a business in a way that is fit for human decency, then it is up to them to choose some other way of running a business, she said. Now, I would jump in here and argue that if you run a business, you should also have the right to be able to close your business, which is uh, something uh, that has been limited uh, somewhat uh, in this regard. So the bulk of the reforms come into effect in the next six months. However, the 12-monthly limit on rent increases will come into effect this week to help tenants who are struggling financially as a result of COVID-19. So what we will see, in my opinion, is a jump of large rent increases in the near future because we're coming out of the situation where the imposed uh, inability to put to give rent increases due to COVID-19 has now finished and many tenants will probably get reasonably large rent increases. Another reason why they might get some reasonable, reasonable sized increases uh, is sort of to do with the changes to ring fencing uh, rules that have happened here, and this from the uh, release from the IRD uh, website. So often is referred to as uh, ring fencing rental losses. Deductions for residential properties uh, will no, can no longer offset other income. So from the 2019-2020 income year, new, new ring fencing rules mean people cannot use rental losses to offset their other income like salary and wages. So they used to be able to get some tax benefits around the costs on rental property, those have been done away with. And this is another reason why rents will likely go up. As uh, in the private sector, uh, this is a business, and if, if it becomes harder to run, then costs need to go up, or people may sell again. But landlords must carry forward the deductions um, over the amount of income they, they earn to offset rental income in future years. And so these rules generally apply no matter whether the property is held in a partnership, trust or company. So all rental properties who, owners who run their rental properties at a loss will be affected, including so-called mum and dad type investors with one or two rental properties, as well as bigger players with a larger portfolio. The, uh, the rules don't apply to someone's main home, farmland or property used mainly as a business premises. And the taxpayer... If a taxpayer owns more than one residential property, they can choose whether to apply the rules across their portfolio or on a property-by-property property basis. So certainly that's another way that things are becoming more difficult here uh, for landlords and unfortunately will have a direct flow-on effect to tenants with regards to many of the changes that we have seen. So the, the difficulties here are that with all these changes that are, are taking place, 
And in fact, the uh, the residential tenancy amendment bill is designed to take place, or is, looks like it's going to take place on September the twenty seventh. Um, then, really, these a number of change, number of things could happen that I foresee. So they're doing away with the ability to, for landlords to be able to give notice, uh, ninety days notice, without reason. Now let's just make this very clear that actually uh, statistics show us that this was only ever done in three out of every 100 tenancies, which is a tiny, tiny amount that landlords would give tenants notice uh, to end the tenancy for no reason, just giving them the 90 days notice. Now, under off the record, even though we're on the record, but off the record, some landlords would use this to give notice to tenants who they just simply didn't like. Maybe they were a bit antisocial and that sort of thing, um, just to move them on and get somebody better in place. So what I predict we will see is a flood of 90-day notices to move tenants on who would then have difficulty obtaining good references from those landlords in order to find new properties. So we're going to have to keep an eye on that one. That's a likelihood that will happen there too. Another thing for landlords with the antisocial behaviour, they have to be able to, in order to end a tenancy due to antisocial behaviour under the changes, first of all we need to figure out what constitutes antisocial behaviour. But once we've done that, we need to be able to prove three instances within a 90-day period. And if you only have two, then that's not good enough to move people on. So you'd have people who are just periodically a real nuisance or just doing things in an antisocial way who are able to stay in the property, frustrating neighbours and landlords alike. And even if they have to prove three examples, uh, I'm using the word prove because that's going to be really difficult for landlords to do. I mean, what proof would you have? Um, Noise complaints, statements, uh, witness statements from neighbours, that sort of stuff. And if you've got really bad tenants in place, we're going to have to see how this works out because it's going to be hard for landlords to move them on under many circumstances. And as well as that, um, if you have neighbours who are too scared to put their name to something in court or an affidavit or appear in court to give uh, examples of their antisocial behaviour, well then unfortunately the neighbours of those tenants will be stuck with them. Whereas in the past, a landlord may have given 90-day notice and moved them on. So I'll leave that with you. Nice positive thought. Uh, This has been Property Matters. I've really appreciated your company today. I hope this has been of interest to you here on Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irirangi o Nga Tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson on Property Matters. Uh, you can also find this where all podcasts are found. Thanks for your time and we'll catch you next week. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the KiwiFruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.